0: Welcome to How Not To Make A Game. Tonight, I am joined by Gary Kings, lead developer and founder of National Insecurities.
1: Hi, Gary. Hello there. Hi. Tell me a little bit about yourself, Gary. Um, Well, I'm, like you say, lead developer of National Insecurities. Uh, I sometimes make games, I sometimes have opinions, and I plan to make more games and less opinions.
0: (laughs) No, opinions are good to have. It also makes games more interesting as well. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> you started National Insecurities uh while you were at university studying for a bachelor's degree in game and interactive media design. How big is the National Insecurities team?
1: Uh it's really tiny. Like as an actual team like company, it is me and Lauren who I went to university with. Uh, she is the programmer, artist, she's basically the person who makes the actual game work, you're talking to the wrong person here, (laughs) Uh, and then also we have Lucy as sort of full-time-ish, as in every single time I write any game, uh, I will always bring Lucy in to be a part of that writing process, Mm -hmm. she's a very very big part of what makes National Insecurities National Insecurities, and then everybody else we have is just sort of like a contractor, we have have had a, a few people come on to work on the same games before. We've had uh, Anne-Sophie Ovria. She's a really brilliant musician and sound engineer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we've had a couple of people, like, come on for animation and stuff for different things, but none of them are, like, uh, what's the word? Permanent parts of the team. But we do like to bring a lot of them back because, well, we're friends with them now, so.
0: <laughs> it's always nice to work with people that you've already sort of developed a relationship and everything with, I suppose. Absolutely. I
1: felt really antsy about... Um, having to bring someone on board that I had never met before, but it's like mm. a friend of mine recommended me to uh, them and I was like, okay, this should be fine. This will be fine. And of course they're lovely. You know, yeah. turns out people are actually lovely. You don't need to have anxiety about that all the time. <laughs> not all the time.
0: <laughs> How many projects have national insecurities worked on them?
1: It's vaguely complicated, but not that complicated. Uh, as actual sort of commercial projects, commercial projects we've had 2001 a space felony and once upon a crime in the west Mm -hmm. those are the ones we're really known for um me on my own which kind of started all of this was um disorient on the murder express i didn't really intend to follow that up because we were working on something else at the time which never got released Mm -hmm. that was the thing that we were working on in university called the old gods are dead um and i think this is actually the first time i've gone on record to say that exists um but then we also together me and lauren during university before we were um before we uh, actually formed national insecurities uh we worked on a little game called pigeon game.exe which we finally released last year and it's free on itch.io, and it's the most lovely little relaxing thing ever and i'm so glad we finally got it out there (laughs) last year so
0: i will have to have a look at that because it's i think it's one of the few ones of yours that i haven't as yet
1: played Oh, it's 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 great. Like during my university years, I used to just play it for forty minutes at a time just to like settle myself down if yeah. I had some kind of anxiety over anything. Uh, and it's also helped me throughout a lot of the development process of the games as well when things were going wrong. <laughs> hey, this is how to how not to make a game. <laughs> <laughs> as lead
0: developer, how do you manage the team and the differing roles that you yourself have to take just upon yourself within that?
1: Uh, well, we've always been pretty close. Mm-hmm. We can usually speak quite frankly, with each other and stuff. Uh, I wouldn't say I necessarily managed the team in this uh, in this latest game. I think I uh, failed to manage the team in this last one, but we've always been quite loose about that stuff anyway. It's just that when we were doing 2001 A Space Felony, being loose really, really worked. And Once Upon a Crime in the West, it really, really didn't work. Mm. So for the most part, it's just a matter of uh, just making sure that everybody's on the same page. Mm. Uh, and. In 2001, that was less people. That was just basically me and Lauren for most of it. Didn't have to wrangle up the voice actors or anything, because there were only two of them. I just went to Cardiff and recorded for three days with them. (laughs) But Once Upon a Crime in the West was much larger. It's a lot harder to get everybody in one place. Mm. Also, I lived right next to Lucy when we were doing 2001, A Space Felony. I could just drop by and write it. Once upon a crime in the West, she was all the way in Nottingham. I had to keep taking the train up. So, yeah, Um, for the most part, it's it's difficult managing even small teams, I would say. Mm -hmm. We're probably going to bring on a little bit more help with that in future.
0: Yeah, I suppose it makes it a lot more awkward whenever you are working remotely as well.
1: Oh, absolutely. But uh, we are a team that's quite good at working remotely. I typically tend to write in person with Lucy. I'd prefer to travel up, spend a few days with her Mm -hmm. and just crack out all the work in one go but me and Lauren working remotely makes more sense we actually find it easier to work remotely from each other than working in the same room with each other cuz neither of us are very good at working when we've got someone looking over our shoulders <laughs> and i work in the middle of the night as well so
0: hmm. where do the ideas for the projects come from mostly
1: well uh i came up for, for actually yeah for all three games that are in the murder mystery trilogy Disorient on the Murder Express 2001 a Space Felony once upon a crime in the west um that was me just faffing about with joke names for games mm-hmm. and then designing games in my head around them that I was like I'll never work on these these are these are just daft ideas and then they all ended up coming to fruition so mostly just um yeah also the actual the actual sort of spark for this was the fact that I really wanted to push some new boundaries in the uh, murder mystery genre uh, and I'd I'd been meaning to do it for a while. I had a few ideas in mind of how to approach it. That's where these three games came from. Mm-hmm. Each one being a different idea uh, of how to approach the genre. And I just came up with Disorient on the Murder Express as a name, and I was like, maybe when I do it, I'll call it that, and then sort of design it around that. And um, I think Two Thousand to One: A Space Felony, I didn't actually come up with that name first. I came up with this uh, with another name, which I'm not even going to say but it did kind of encapsulate what it was, and Mm -hmm. then I designed around that, renamed it later. Same thing for Once Upon a Crime in the West, it was called uh, The Something Several for a while, Mm -hmm. Uh, and then we ended up changing the name about 12 times, uh, (laughs) completely losing sight of what the game was even about in the process. (laughs) And then eventually we were like, okay, we've got to get back to it. This is a western, which is a murder mystery, just that's all it it needs to communicate. (laughs) So Once Upon a Crime in the West it was, after about I think it was nine months of development at that point, so. Mm.
0: For both 2001 and Once Upon a Crime in the West, they are very cinematic in their presentation and almost um, in their storytelling as well. Is cinema an influence on you whenever you're working on games?
1: Absolutely. I draw a lot from books and cinema, mostly because I feel like uh, games could do with some more outside influences. Mm. Now, I don't consider movies and books to be that far influences, and you would definitely find people out there who are like no you should climb mountains and do all they have these really (laughs) intricate processes to to how to bring in outside influences i go literally one step away from games and i'm like (laughs) ah films and that what that usually means is we put in some fancy not even fancy i suppose they're just hard cuts in games that's actually stylish because you don't see hard cuts in games very often mm. in movies they're just part of the course but i like bringing in elements of these uh, of other media that i like because uh, i'm really interested in adaptation i like the idea of um finding ways to do things that other mediums do so well in games and that's kind of what drew me to murder mysteries to begin with is that i i didn't quite feel like the murder mysteries i wanted to see exist existed yet yeah. so
0: with both Once Upon a Crime and 2001, they both released through Humble, or well, through the Humble Originals scheme. How did you decide to release this way over, say, a more traditional uh, method, like putting it up on a proper storefront or anything?
1: Well, in this case, it was mostly because we could do with some funding to finish up the games mm-hmm. uh, in both cases. In the case of 2001, we already had a prototype, sent it their way. Um, and in the case of Once Upon a Crime in the West, we pitched it to them on the basis that we had already done something good for them, (laughs) and they were like, sure. We mostly just did those because in this industry it is really difficult to get funding in a hurry. In the case of 2001, it did take a little while to set that all up and get paid from that. Uh, Once Upon a Crime in the West, it made a lot of sense for us to just kind of go with what we already knew, Uh, and there aren't many publishers or fund folks uh out there who are willing to fund things of around this scale we're only really working with games that are about an hour to an hour and a half each mm-hmm. uh and typically small games from publishers you'd find to be about three hours at least you know yeah. like uh what was the game called the vanishing No, it's not the vanishing of ethan carter what remains of edith finch Oh, these all these games blur <laughs> into one <laughs> all these lovely lovely games um but yeah so in that case it was Uh, quite simply we just needed to get paid and they seemed like the people who were who were willing to fund projects of around our scale
0: okay that kind of brings me on to uh, sort of the marketing then for uh, once upon a crime in the west it was released as sort of a surprise reveal almost
1: Oh, absolutely! Humble loves their surprise reveals, <laughs> yeah. and that really suited us as well. For two thousand to One Space Felony, I'd been shouting about it a little bit during development and stuff, but never really going as far as to straight up announce it, except for before we, uh, before we made a deal with Humble. I was talking about it really loudly. I so- I stopped that. I zipped up when once we got uh, got the deal in place. Um, But they really like it to be a surprise release uh, with only a few days, maybe, that you might start shouting about it. Mm. Um, So for Once Upon a Crime in the West, uh, unless you were really closely following my Twitter, you probably wouldn't know that I was working on uh, that particular game. And a lot of people just didn't. And they're like, wow, hey, you have a thing coming out? It's like, yeah, I've been working on this for so long. (laughs) Please, please play it. Um, So yeah, that's just the way that, that Humble likes to do things. But it also suited me down to the ground to not have to think about that too too much during the uh the end portions of that uh project so
0: i suppose with the type of games that those two are a long marketing campaign wouldn't have really suited um due to them being quite short but still yeah, in- intensive um experiences
1: the uh the marketing campaigns would end up being like longer than the games <laughs> themselves you just end up with like oh you just stack all the trailers and things back to back and you got uh two hours (laughs) as much as i would love to make two hours worth of marketing materials for these games i love i love making things like that it it did really just suit me to just be really quiet about it Mm -hmm. and by that point as well with once upon a crime in the west uh we had already made 2000 to one and people quite liked it so from our perspective we didn't really need to prove anything anymore When we when we were creating 2000 to 1, we were shouting about it whenever we could because we just needed to prove that we existed and we're doing things and we're serious about this. But once you got one thing out there, you can kind of just zip up and relax. Yeah. Not that we were relaxed. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what did go on uh, during the production of Once Upon a Crime in the West? Um, I'd seen that you'd mentioned that it sort of took a heavy toll on the team and what have you. Um, there was a little bit of crunch in there and what have you. And... Just a lot of things did they go wrong
1: uh yeah, I'd say so. I'm not going to dive too hard into this, but what I will say is that that game was uh utterly cursed, and just about anything that could could have gone wrong during the development it did. There are also moments when we like made some really bad decisions as to how to approach things or whatever um fundamentally, like as a concept, it turns out it was this was actually a really bad idea for a game to follow up two thousand to one with, mm. like on the face of it, it seems like the right game right you're like oh yeah this this makes sense yeah. um creatively and like scope wise but absolutely not it turns out that working with uh, working in a game uh, going from working in two, with 2000 to with 2001 which has six characters uh that are all dead and then two voice characters that barely move <laughs> like great brilliant that's that's awesome you can you can crack out the the voice work in three days and you can animate all the other stuff in a day it's great Uh, then once upon a crime in the west we were like how about we have 10 voiced characters uh, and all of them move uh, and (laughs) (laughs) do all sorts of things and they all have interlocking personal relationships and things it's just and we're just like yeah but you know looking back on it it's like in hindsight it was absolutely the worst idea but like we, we pursued it to the point where we were like okay i guess we're doing this now so yeah, there was a lot, a lot that could go wrong. Also, into in Once Upon a Crime in the West, like it's it's split over the course of twelve days, mm. uh, and each day has its own mechanics going on in it. We had nothing like that in two thousand to one. We had like a few mechanics that the whole game relied on. So having these, effectively, it's like making twelve mini games. Mm. And there's so much that can go wrong within those, even though they're self-contained. Thank God they were so self-contained that that was a blessing for us. But the fact that we had to make 12 of them, or rather Lauren had to make 12 of them, it just did not really work. The pro- uh, Another big part of the problem is the fact that uh, I'm not really an in-engine guy. I can work in-engine. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of okay at it. to One A Space Felony, the fact that it had a way, a structure of working, um, that was uh that was kind of easy for me to just drop in and tinker with things because i would come to understand things mm. but whenever you, when when your game is made out of 12 chunks and each chunk works differently because it needs to i open up those those different parts of the game and i'm like i don't know what i'm looking at here so in the end it just came down to me to um uh bug test relentlessly and then the an actual bug fixing would almost all uh, be on Lauren, which is, uh, that was really weighted the wrong way. And next time we're not going to do anything like that. We're definitely going to take <laughs> it into account next time how much I will be able to jump in and tinker with things. Mm. Oh yeah. And of course, uh, to further answer your question, I suppose, uh, we also had like, uh, not just me, but other people as well. We had a couple of, um, family deaths, mm. uh, and it just, those kinds of things, they, they do take like a huge toll on you. And if you don't deal with that like i didn't then it's gonna catch up to you so i ended up crashing out for a full month which is Mm -hmm. (laughs) ill-advised don't do that anybody make sure that you grieve properly so i think like to once upon a crime in the west it felt entirely cursed from front to back but it's not it's not without ways that we could have improved it for ourselves
0: Mm -hmm. was there a deadline um to get it out on
1: humble uh we discussed a deadline early Mm -hmm. um but we missed that deadline early. Uh, and then the deadline became very, very fluid for a long time. Uh, and we dipped in and out of nearly releasing it a couple of times, like uh, on earlier bundles. Uh, on my Twitter, I was I kept talking like we were about to announce something big. And then I'd have to, like, scale it back. A few of those were our fault, uh, and a few of them were just sort of a few little you know a few little trip ups in the organizational process there a few mm-hmm. behind the scenes things that just kind of didn't work out as planned but yeah like uh we started off with a deadline and uh we missed it quite a long way humble was very very loose with us though they allowed us the time we needed mm-hmm. uh, in order to get it done so
0: i suppose that helped at least um it took a little bit of pressure off. Oh, absolutely what about with um respect to sort of the engines and things that you use um as part
1: of the processes? Oh, Unreal Engine 4, we've been using it since uh, university, and we just love it to bits, mm-hmm. and Lauren is absolutely brilliant with it as well. She also uses Unity now, like, as part of her day job, oh, okay. but she's just, oh, she's just brilliant. It turns out if she doesn't know how to do something, she'll just learn how to do it, <laughs> uh, and Unreal Engine 4, she mostly uses Blueprints. Uh, she can definitely do Cody codes if she needs to, but also... Uh, okay, so in 2001, there was this really lovely thing. I think we might have discussed this on the record before, so sorry if I'm repeating myself. Not that anyone keeps up with me that closely. Um, we uh, we had this thing, which is like, we, we have uh, a big spinning wheel which creates gravity uh, in space. The idea is it spins and you stick to the outside of it. That's real science. Uh, and we we were like, okay, so we want this big ring to spin and we need the player to be able to walk along the inside of it. Uh, and also, we want this, yeah. So we want it to be. You want to be able to walk around the inside of it whilst it's spinning. And mm. um, we we found this forum thread which was full of people trying to do the same thing, maybe for different purposes, not specifically for centrifugal gravity, but they wanted to do the sonic loop de loop basically. Uh, and they were having real trouble with it. They were using both blueprints and like C plus plus, and they were just coming up against a lot of dead ends. And we were like, okay, so what we're gonna do is we're not gonna, I was was talking to Laura, and I was like, we're gonna have it so that the wheel doesn't spin, uh, and we're we're just gonna have to float around it instead, like, the idea is that the wheel has stopped, that's the in-game reason for why there is no gravity, and she just kind of went silent, like she does, and then two days later, she came back with it just fully working, and she had done it all in Blueprint, and, uh, she just did this thing that a whole bunch of people in a forum post spent about six months discussing how to do, and I was like, you should, upload that for them uh, I think she actually did end up replying in that um, in that thread as well with a few ideas of her own so hopefully it helped a few people <laughs> oh and the other thing is as well it's actually quite impossible or maybe it's impossible I don't know to get it so that you can walk around the inside of a ring that is actively spinning so what we have is that when you go into the ring uh-huh. The ring stops spinning, and the rest of the universe starts spinning, <laughs> so that the whole of the rest of the ship and everything and the the skybox everything is then spinning until you get back out of the ring again, and then the ring starts it's just it's she, lauren's a genius I absolutely love <laughs> working with lauren she's brilliant
0: <laughs> that sounds very very impressive
1: yeah I was, I, was, I was amazed by it
0: for the production and things obviously um you know, family things, there's nothing you could have done about those, but was there anything specific that could have been done, looking back in hindsight now?
1: Oh, I don't know, I think, um, if I had to design it again, I think I'd probably just, I think I'd just die instead, like, (laughs) (laughs) but, uh, a lot of what we actually did, I think I would, I would actually just change elements of the design, you know, everyone says that, Uh, that you are your worst critic Mm. uh, and there are just little things in there that bother me a little bit and they only could have existed through hindsight and putting it out to an audience and that is uh, like I don't quite think the difficulty was balanced the way I wanted it to be I think I wanted it to be just a little bit harder maybe we didn't want to give away too much information make it too easy for people to piece things together Mm. but um those things are actually damn near impossible to test at our scale Mm. so we every time it came down to hey we've got this thing do we make it harder do we make it easier always we were basically decided early on always lean towards easier because if this ends up being a game that just tells a story and doesn't have much deduction in it then that's fine as long as we're telling an interesting story but if people cannot finish that story because it's too hard that's a huge problem so we ended up leaning towards easy and i think you know that it was it was obviously going to happen you'd end up going just a little bit too far in places with it but now i know the formula now i know the formula <laughs> that i would have needed to get the balance right i would have loved to have uh, to have corrected that but as it, it is what it is
0: would you consider a director's cut of it if the opportunity ever arose
1: no, we did actually discuss this, though. Basically, we decided that if the game was fundamentally broken in any ways that we really needed to alter content of it, we would re- release it as a director's cut. Okay. But if it was fine, if people if people were having a good enough time with the regular version, mm-hmm. uh, we would leave it as that. That's the definitive version. The only thing that we're going to do is um, correct a few bugs in it because people uh, have dropped the camera down the well a few times, which means they have to restart <laughs> the game. For anyone listening to this, our game does not have a save in it. You just want to complete it in one sitting uh, and do not drop that camera down the well. Why didn't we think of that? Why didn't we think that people would? Of course they would. Of course they would, yeah. Like, oh, that's the thing I would change. That's the biggest thing I would change. More collisions on the well.
0: Yeah, I work in IT, so I'm used to, if a user can do it, they will do it.
1: Oh, absolutely they will, yeah.
0: You have been to a number of uh, games exhibitions as an exhibitor. A few. How useful do you find those events as a marketing tool and as a way of gauging whether or not players actually enjoy the games?
1: I actually find it um, a lot better for figuring out if people actually like the game mm. more than a marketing tool. But then again, it's kind of hard to see behind the scenes. Uh, we do get a bit more engagement on social network. We do get a little bit more engagement on uh, on like itch.io. More people follow us there mm. and stuff. But in the end... Um, I'm not actually sure how much the impact of me going to shows with this game or with any game has been, but getting people to sit down and actually seeing them play the game. That's huge for a start. Like just, it's just great for your mental health, like (laughs) to actually see that people can play the game. I took Once Upon a Crime in the West to, uh, to Wales where I, where I studied, uh, and loaded up the game and let some people play it. Um, they were of sat around... Watching it, they flicked back to day six, and someone, uh, the character, is like, "Listen up!" F- and he gets a shotgun out, <laughs> and he cocks a shotgun, and everybody laughed, and I was like, "Why is it? Why is?" oh right yeah because it's funny It's because you've been there you've been looking at this game for like a year and everything stops being funny it kind of instead becomes music it, because it's just it's just sounds that happen now yeah. <laughs> like none of this is dialogue anymore you've played it 700 times and so when, when people start laughing at your jokes uh, that you put in there you remind yourself that you made a game which contains jokes uh, and just any amount of joy that is elicited from them that is visible to you will heal all those wounds <laughs> <laughs> from, from development very quickly. Yeah. But at the same time, it is, it is also scary, because when you make a, um, a murder mystery game, Most of that game is actually played inside a player's head. Mm. Uh, They are deducing things inside their head. They aren't, like, mechanically deducing anything. They will mechanically solve things once they've deduced enough. Um, But the actual main portion of the game is happening inside their heads. And at an event, when you're looking over somebody's shoulder, what that ends up looking like is them just staring at a wall, bored (laughs) out of their minds. (laughs) And that is really difficult to see. But then suddenly they're like, aha, and then they rush over and do like two things and you're like, oh, they did it, they did it, my babies, and they're, they're really happy with themselves and you're really happy with them and you try not to look like you're looking too closely at them because that makes them uncomfortable, you know. Uh, so I'd say it's very, very good. You've absolutely got to do that for your sake, for the game's sake, mm-hmm. uh, probably for marketing's sake. People are probably better at being proactive than me at these events. But yeah, it's it's really, really good to get to events with these kinds of games. Mm-hmm
0: from a networking perspective is it a good opportunity there as well
1: uh, absolutely uh the only reason i've gotten as far as i have in this industry is because i made friends with people mm-hmm. uh, and then some of those people ended up helping me out with stuff or paying my, paying me money to do things that i do well and yeah i don't one thing that i find with uh with like networking events is that i don't network well when i'm trying to network like if I'm just, if I'm like handing people my business cards, that's, I end up like getting nothing from that and they don't get anything from it either. So what I usually do is I just turn up to these events and just make friends with people, you know, yeah. I just kind of go and find people and, uh, and eventually some of those connections end up being business connections and a lot of other ones, uh, you just end up with loads of friends and there's nothing wrong with that. There's literally nothing to lose there. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, absolutely. Uh, I would recommend to anybody. Go to as many events as you can and make friends with as many people as you can, eat lunches, get out of the event space, get out of the drag people out of there by their collars and just like sit them down around a table and eat some pizza with them or something and chat to them in a space that is not the game space. Yeah. That's that's the best advice I can give anyone. So
0: Yeah, it's definitely been interesting whenever I've been at EGX and EGX raised talking to the exhibitors and what have you and it's nicer than just yeah this is my game have a go at it but just chatting to them um absolutely definitely been a lot more revealing and actually warms you a lot more to the games themselves than just playing the game
1: yep uh one thing that i would say to anybody exhibiting a game is make a version of the game which uh can you can just leave make it so that it resets make it make it so that they can't quit out of it easily unless they alt tab the sneaky buggers <laughs> um but like make it so that like what would usually be quit is restart make it so that when it after maybe two minutes of play it resets itself to the beginning mm-hmm. so that the next person can play uh and then just get away from your booth sometimes, yeah. just escape from there, like, uh, absolutely, ma- I wouldn't say as much as you can, I do, uh, <laughs> lately anyways, um, but, like, being able to get away from the booth is absolutely the biggest thing, and especially because then you get to approach other people with their games and talk to them about their games, hmm. get to know other developers, it's just, these events are really great for that so
0: yeah especially at EGX um and around sort of the tentacle collective and even the left field section and what have you
1: I love left field. yeah
0: there's just such a nice camaraderie between everybody there as
1: well absolutely so yeah the left field collective is was extremely uh extremely big moment for me and I uh, I was at the big EGX in Birmingham for that mm. and it was uh, absolutely lovely. I met most oh God. I met so many friends there that I now hold very, very dear to me. Uh, and we actually did, uh, apply for left field collection with, uh, with once upon a crime in the West, but it didn't quite make it in because it's a little bit too grim. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and so that's fair enough. Like you don't want, it, it was, uh, I think it was specifically also the moment where you wheel up the, uh, uh, pair of legs that are hanging, dangling down in a, in, in a well. It's like, that's it's it's not even like gory the game isn't gory at all it's just <laughs> gruesome and uncomfortable and that's a very deliberate thing and it turns out that that's a really hard thing to take to events <laughs> any kind of event so we haven't been able to take this one to as many uh but oh well
0: with respect to networking opportunities you were part of the BAFTA games
1: crew um last year i am again part of BAFTA games crew so very very well done thank you very much
0: I only know a little bit, um, and purely because of seeing so many people saying on Twitter that they have got in this year, what is the BAFTA Games Crew?
1: So actually, BAFTA Games Crew, um, I haven't actually been able to uh, be a part of it as much as I would have liked, Mm -hmm. um, because I don't live... Uh, near any of the major cities in which it's uh, a part of it but I do turn up in London quite often Mm -hmm. and I do turn up at events quite often and so it hasn't been super useful to me but the actual events themselves I do stand by are really really useful to anybody who can get to them it's really just yeah like you said networking it's just being able to talk to people just on the basis that you are all BAFTA crew like there's a discord there's a whatsapp group it's really handy to just run things by people uh and the biggest thing for me what actually was um uh sarah as part of uh, bafta crew that's sarah ford she often will just tag you in uh to the discord and say hey do you want to play some tabletop simulator Mm -hmm. so uh, like every occasional thursday we play a little bit of uh, tabletop simulator over the internet and that's been very very good for my mental health (laughs) So uh that's great. Going to events and painting your nails gold in some cult like fashion, just so you can like (laughs) bump into people and be like, oh you're BAFTA crew too. That's great. Um and generally it's just a really good collective of people who are almost certainly serious about this game life. And that can be quite hard to find, you know, like in university spaces a lot of those people aren't gonna really uh, I often found that a lot of those people aren't necessarily going to end up going into games mm. if, if you're studying games. Um, BAFTA Crew kind of hits this weird little middle ground which is like, they ask for like around three, two, three years of experience in the in the games industry so it's a lot of really, really young people who are about your level but they're all very serious about this and they all know their craft mm. uh, so it's really good to be able to talk to them about just about anything really. So, you might find your next team there. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I see what you mean about looking at the experience that you've already had uh, within the industry to get into the BAFTA crew, Um, because certainly I've spoken to some of the um, students and what have you who work in the national film and television um, games area, and some of them, after exhibiting at EGX and things like that, have then sort of moved out of that game sphere. Um, They may be working on something quietly in the background, but that they're just not making a big deal of it. Yeah. But yeah, I suppose the the Games crew is very focused on what it's sort of trying to achieve that way.
1: Yeah, I think it's, uh, in the end, really, it's just the seeds of these things. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it's not necessarily, like, pushing people together. It's really just, uh, well, how would I describe it? It might be like, um, it's almost like social grease. It's just kind of, it puts you just in a bucket with loads of other people. And <laughs> it's like, there you go do your thing. Uh, And Mel is brilliant. Mel, who runs it, is absolutely brilliant. She's really good at putting together really interesting little um, events for people to come to, mostly in the London area, but they are elsewhere as well. And yeah, I I think it's just really good. And there was a really good sense of camaraderie uh, last year, at the end of last year at Rez, when a bunch of us got tickets to the game awards. Mm -hmm. uh, And it's like BAFTA, just this this crowd of BAFTA crew kids that had all just been hanging out together (laughs) for a while. It's like, we just sort of marched in there like yeah we made it and like no none of us had <laughs> really made it but like it's still a big deal it feels good it's nice um there is that sense of camaraderie yeah. uh and everybody's just really nice there as best as uh as best as i found so far
0: excellent okay we will finish up with three quick questions excellent uh the first one we've kind of covered a little bit how many games are in your unfinished folder And which one would you most like to finish, as in your projects and things?
1: Oh, well, we've got a few. We've got a couple we haven't actually... When you say unfinished, actually, do you mean that we've started and not finished?
0: It's up to your interpretation of the question.
1: Okay, well, I'll answer that question, and that's uh, only one. Uh... (laughs) Oh well, actually, yeah. No, let's let's call it two because what we have is the old gods are dead, which is a game we tried to uh, fund before we even worked on two thousand one, a space felony, and that just didn't work out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're almost certainly never going to finish that one. I think we're past that now. And it was there was a lot of pseudo intellectualism in there. It was what well, was during our university days when we thought we knew everything, and it really <laughs> shows going back to look at it. Uh, And then there's the, uh, we also have a remake of Disorient on the Murder Express, which we remade most of the way, Mm -hmm. and it looks lovely and is lovely, but when it came down to uh, making Once Upon a Crime in the West, um, yeah, we really had to just focus on what was paying us at the time, uh, and Disorient on the Murder Express just fell by the wayside. At this point, I might end up just, like, having a bit of a crack at that myself uh, in the next few months, but... it's a really lovely looking thing it's styled after a uh, after a silent movie mm-hmm. and it's it looks beautiful so pretty much just those two and only one of them will be completed but it would be an absolute waste for us to not finish disorient on the murder express at this point so yeah
0: what's the one thing you wish all game makers knew
1: uh i probably don't know it to be honest like <laughs> I, just, I have i just have no idea um I'm going to have to pass on that question because uh, I think that game makers need to bring absolutely whatever they have that's unique to them to the table.
0: What or who inspires you?
1: You. You do. Uh, (laughs) uh, A lot of things inspire me. uh, Mostly just when when I watch a good movie or read a good book and I think, why has games not done this specific thing yet Mm. that's been how i made basically all these these games in my brain before we then went and actually made them
0: yes it is strange whenever you do see a film or read a book and just an idea is there and you sort of think yeah why isn't that in a game and obviously somebody's either not even thought about it or has thought about it and went no
1: That's kind of what we had with Disorient on the Murder Express. We kind of... uh, A lot of murder mystery games are pretty good, but they're not necessarily murder mystery games. Mm. They are adventure games that are kind of wearing a murder mystery skin. And I think the games industry can sometimes fall into uh, that trap of being like, hey, if we're going to adapt Thing, we're going to need to find gameplay systems that already fit that, right? So it's like, oh, it would be great to make a Sherlock Holmes adventure game. Mm. Sure, that's fine. But like... In the end, you kind of, you really want to be trying to look at what these things do uniquely and the opportunities that that provides to bring something entirely new to the table. And that's why we didn't really want much crossover between our three games either, Mm. like, even though they are, they do have similarities, they are all fundamentally different games in the way that they work and are mechanically. Mm. Uh, we wanted to bring something new to the table each time and every single time we're going to release games from now on we want to be bringing something entirely new to the table we want to make games that people look at and go why the? Why doesn't this already exist <laughs> um, but we also want to make games that only we could have made yeah
0: well it definitely sets you apart in this industry where there is to a certain degree a little bit of homogenization between some things that you see coming out
1: yeah, I do think that's um, it's sometimes disappointing, but it is also natural, you know. There's uh, games are big now, and they're they take a million years to make. Yeah. Uh, sometimes you got to work with what you know. Uh, and well, I mean, I just I just described uh the development of Once Upon a Crime in the West, which was a lot of unknowns, and it was an absolute nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, I haven't really made a great case for, for working on things that are new, but that is entirely what we're going to keep on doing, despite the fact that. Uh, one of these games has really come back to bite so.
0: us. <laughs> no, well, thank you very much for coming on and uh, having a little chat thank with you me. Thank you so much for having no, me. It's been... It's, it's been lovely. Yeah,
1: that has been good fun. How can people get in touch with you if you, they want to? Uh, I would encourage anybody to follow National Insecurities on Twitter, that is at Uh Myself, personally, on my personal Twitter, where I am often just sad... And have terrible hot takes <laughs> uh, you can find me at Gary J Kings uh, and while I'm at it I'm also going to get people to follow Lauren as well and that is uh, Lauren Philby on Twitter at lost to Lauren uh, and that's pretty much everybody of our team that you can find on Twitter excellent no it's been an absolute pleasure thank you very much Gary thank you thank you very much Okay,
0: I've been your host, Stuart Neil. If you want to get in contact with the podcast, you can get us on how to number two, Make a Game uh, on Twitter. You can get me at Saintly Stewart on Twitter. And you can email us at howtomakeagamecast at gmail.com. Thank you, and goodbye.